What up, though, One Pride? This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where One Pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I am joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey. We are back. This is the college football podcast, the Cup of Tea, sponsored by Balderdash Bowl. Yes, we are at that time of year where the bowl games come around. They have some of the weirdest and most wonderful names in the world. So we thought that we come up with our own British take on a bowl game and we play in for the Trey Flowers Highlights Trophy because like those highlights, it doesn't exist. <laughs> Thank you for everyone for joining us this evening. Ryan, it's an um, interesting time in the world of college football at the moment. The recruiting classes have just opened up. There's been a lot of Eagle Biggledy, lots of players recruiting, decommitting. One player flipped twice in 24 hours, and then you've got ball season going on, senior ball squads coming out, NFL drafts coming out. There's a, a lot to take in at the moment, but it can be quite a fun time for the casual observer. Yeah, this is the busiest time in the calendar for recruiters, coaches, teams. The uh, deadline for underclassmen for the draft, I believe, is 16th of January. So right now you've got to decide whether you're returning to college or if you're going to go to the draft. The days are ticking. And then, yep, guys flipping the commitments, guys signing official letters of intent who then are committed to their school and can't just flip and flop and change like the scenes from some guys. Some guys are taking the piss of it. Like, say, someone that I know, the guy that changed school four times in, like, say, 24 hours. Right? If you don't know what school you're going to, and you're making your mind up like there and then. Are you really committed? Does that really look good? I don't think it does. I'd say you, you should know. Like You should have made your mind up and you should speak to people about it. Uh, yeah. The amount of money that's flying about, the amount of so-called tampering that's being done, it's making for very lacklustre ball games because there's people out there just sending teams out and half the talent's not there. Our guys are just sitting out because they're deciding what to do. So... It, it makes games impossible to predict because we made predictions weeks ago and now we get to the day and so-and-so's not playing so they don't stand a chance. So it, it's a hard life. Yeah, it is. But then you see examples last night. Grayson McCall decides he's going to play a ball game, goes out second quarter, concussion, don't know how bad it is. And it's like, well, has he just made a terrible decision? I mean, it seems odd to play for a team when you're intent on transfer in a way but yeah um, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on at the moment and the, the flip-flopper we're talking about obviously Peyton Bowen is it Peyton Bowen I think his name is the yeah, uh, safety we might be witnessing the birth of a new Tate Martell here his story from how many teams he played but I think he went from Notre Dame to Oregon if I'm right and he made the decision at the recruiting table when he sat at the table making his announcement he still doesn't know who he's going to pick he picks up the Notre Dame hat puts it on and then goes oh wait no Oregon I think it's Oregon or it's the other way around and then 24 hours later a statement comes out well actually I'm going to go to Oklahoma instead and I believe Oklahoma is now going to be his port of call but that was all done in 24 hours and like you say it's like if you don't know don't do it 
I think sometimes the spectacle of revealing where you go into a school is is taking over the vested interest of the players themselves. They've no idea. They just like getting caught up in the spectacle of it. So, yeah, interesting times indeed. Thank you to everyone who's joining us anyhow this evening. Grandizer's in the building on YouTube. Thank you to, for joining us as always, Grandizer. Hope that you are well. And a few people in with us on Twitch as well. If you've got any questions during the evening, college football draft, anything like that, let us know because... Um, we've got a lighter schedule today, we've had a week off obviously, my birthday last week, so I had a bit of a break, and we're just going to go through a few things today, just sort of try and clarify bits and bobs, and then next week onwards we're going to really start diving down into the draft stuff and whatnot, when we know who is declaring, so there are a lot of people who are coming back to college who we didn't think would be, so we're going to wait a little while longer before we start doing reviews on players who might not even make the draft, would be a huge waste of time, otherwise, right, just going to go through all the housekeeping before we start off, so obviously, Rural Lad UK main podcast, we will be back tomorrow, we will be with our good friend from Bear Down Report who are coming over for the Chicago Bears uh, preview pod and boy oh boy am I getting worried about that one as we go along I know Ryan is as well we are not alone here a massive massive game for the Detroit Lions so come check that out tomorrow we will be with Bear Down Report our good friends from there they are awesome and they know all all about the Bears, and they will let us know the rundown on our opposition. Um, Discord, if you want to get in the Rural Lions UK Discord, just give us a shout, we'll send you a link. It's good fun at this moment in time. Don't forget to like and subscribe to everything YouTube, Twitch. We are approaching A750 on YouTube at the minute, so we're slowly inching our way up to the thousand where we want to get. So if you don't already and you like what we do, please give us a like on there. Same with Twitch. If you're on and you enjoy us, do give us a shout. Um, and then Lions Nation Unite as well, Herman Moore's pet project to bring together the best of Lions content creators on the internet. This is regular fans making content for the fans. You can find some great podcasts, including ourselves, on there. So, we'll get that out of the way. Today's schedule, we are going to talk next about the FCS playoffs. Um, they are reaching the culmination stage of that. Then we're going to go through some news, just a tiny bit of news. We're going to talk about some of the quarterback activity in the transfer portal, because quarterbacks are moving here, there, and everywhere. So we're going to discuss a few of the bigger moves. Um, then we're going to take a look so far at the bowl review. We're about 20 or so games. We're about halfway through the slate at the moment. So we're going to pick out a few of the teams, some players who have stood out so far and chat about them. And then we are going to finish it all off this evening with a chat about the college football playoffs, which are happening in just a few days time. Obviously Michigan fans Second year in a row, they are gearing up for this. They are ready to win a natty. Can they do it? We will soon find out. But, as I said, first I'm going to pass the baton over to Ryan. He's been keeping us up to date over the last month or so about the FCS playoffs. Well, Ryan, the final has been decided. Who is in said final and how did they make it? Yep, the final has been decided. We were just had the semi-finals. We had a repeat of last year. Uh, South Dakota State v Montana State and on the other side we had North Dakota State versus University of Incarnate Ward. There were unfortunately no upsets to be had this year. Number one SDSU, the Jackrabbits, comfortably took down uh, Montana State 39-18. to 18. Now this one was pretty one-sided. Montana State were outrushed 281 yards to 52. South Dakota State averaged 7.4 yards per rush. 
they had a leading receiver. Oh, the leading rusher, I Davis, went 16 of 158. So it was a very comfortable day for the Jackrabbits, who have booked themselves a place in the national championship game. On the other side, we've got uh, North Dakota State v UIW. This game, much closer, went down right to the end. North Dakota State, though, came out on top 35-32 over the number seven Cardinals, who now say have lost their head coach, who now departed because they're out of the playoffs. They did have the player of the whole playoff, though, I believe. Lindsey Scott Jr., the star quarterback, he's had something like 1,200 like total yards like in three or four games, just solo. The UIW quarterback has been phenomenal. And in a losing effort, he accounted for 360 yards, three touchdowns, but unfortunately did toss two interceptions. On the other side, bizarrely, the uh, Bison won this game, completing one pass for five yards. That's all Cam Miller could muster in 12 attempts. But they did have two rushes for 130 yards each, including the quarterback. So on the ground, they really got it done, but it was dirty. And uh, they did not get anything through the air. They just gave up on the passing game altogether. The Cardinals outgained them in offense, 539 yards to 333. But unfortunately, the turnover margin of minus four is really what cost them in the end. Two interceptions, four fumbles, two lost. So minus four. Uh, NDSU did fumble twice, but didn't lose either of them. So it came down to fine margins and turnovers. The championship game is very soon, the 8th of January. And this is a historic rivalry. I believe this will be the 114th overall meeting of the SDSU Jackrabbits and the NDSU Bison. Blooded rivals absolutely hate each other. I think... Currently, NDSU just tip it. I think it's like 65 wins to like 43 losses and five ties. But it don't matter. Like, say, form goes out of the books. This one could be an absolute bandstorm, I bet, yeah. Both, in, both South Dakotas on side of the brackets made good light work of their opponents throughout. So it's going to be a lot more... It's bigger than a championship. These two just don't like each other. It's one of the biggest rivalries in FCS football, and they're going to tussle over a tie. And... Right now, I can't say who's going to win. Two, oh. These two teams push the ball incredibly heavy. It's the team that can pass the ball a little bit better. And from what I've seen, NDSU have not been passing the ball that well for the playoffs. They have a, for a rush heavy offense. So I expect this is going to be a kind of like a 30 33 kind of game. This is going to be close and go down to the wire. I think the Jackrabbits might just get over the line because I think that I trust their passing offence a little bit more than I do because NDSU's passing offence dry this week was totally shut down. It's not going to be the best game when they're suddenly just going to start praying the ball round, even with the Yan- even because SDSU have got the Yankee brothers, Jackson and Jaden, two of the biggest names in FCS football, could be in the draft next year, so they've got talented weapons on the outside, so this one's going to come down to fine margins, but I'd say outside of Sacramento State, who were the number two team, best two teams in the country, have probably made it to the final. And it's good to just see someone like say, a, a great historic rivalry. So NDSU are going for, I think, for their 10th title in like 13 years, and their historic rival is going to stand in their way. So I was, I was, that was going to be my first question to you. M- money down on the table, who, who have you got? So, is it South Dakota? Yeah, I think it caused an upset. I, I like their passing options a little bit better than North Dakota State. 
Smash Mouth brand. See, the way I look at this, I think North Dakota, and I've watched a few of their games now as it's gone on, I think they've had 12 of their proverbial nine lives going through to this. I feel like they've scraped their way through. There are games where teams should have beaten them and better teams would have beaten them. But every week, they seem to have just squeaked on through. And I don't think they deserve the win against UIW, quite frankly. I thought Incarnate Ward deserved to win that game, but so when you turn it over, you can't. On another day, they lose. So I, it just feels like, you know, the giant behemoth has just ridden the luck wave all the way through, and then they're just going to turn up on the final day and wreck the opposition, like completely undeserved in the first place. So... I don't know. I'm, I I think North Dakota get it just because of how lucky they've been getting there. But hey ho, we will see. But yeah, game takes place on the eighth of January, and that will be the culmination of the FCS season. So thank you to that Ryan for keeping us updated all the way throughout the playoffs as to what is going on. Um, we'll be watching that game when it happens. Um, shout out everyone who's joining us in the chat. Brian Shock has joined us. He goes, I have a Mason Blue Stiffy. Which I will be getting checked out because I'm pretty sure it's gonna rear, but the point still remains go blue. Yeah, I'd, uh, I'd get that checked out if you've got one three days before the game. Um, might be awkward dealing with that for three days. That fan man's in the building. Nine drinks is in the building. Miss Harley Quinn is in the building. Hope you are doing well. Brent DeWitt is in the building as well. He says go blue. Nine drinks goes jackrabbits. I'm hungry for some chicken, lol. Yes, all fun. But yeah, thank you all for joining us. Hope you are all well. Um, right, so we will move on to some news now, and the probably biggest news, Ryan, coming out of the uh, college football world the last few days, well, we had on our last show a couple of weeks ago a very long discussion about Deion Sanders and his sudden departure from the HBCU circuit, he's now at Colorado, his staff's going there, and we wondered what sort of an effect that would have on the HBCU football circuit, well... It turns out that as one NFL Hall of Famer leaves for pastures new, another one is about to join as former NFL safety and Hall of Famer Ed Reed has agreed to be the new coach of Bethune-Cookman. They play in the SWAC, um, where um, Jackson State do as well. He is going to be the new head coach, like I say, Hall of Famer. This this is a team, this is going to be a very tough job for him, you know, he is considered to be one of the best safeties to play the game and he is going to have his work cut out, the Wildcats, they are without a conference win since 2015, they have only won four games in the past two seasons and this season alone they gave up an incredible 429 points in just 11 games, that is an average of 39 per game, so your offense is needing to average 40 points a game just to be in it. This is a team who, it needs a defense, it's not going to find a better mentor to learn from. This is a big boon, obviously, for the HBCU circuit after losing Deion Sanders. How do you... Uh, how do you see what are your initial reactions to this one, Ryan? How do you think he'll get on down there? Seems like a publicity stunt. I like it. Has he got any coaching experience? That's the first thing I want to know. I know Deion Sanders didn't have tons, but is he going in there and can he offer anything? Does he know how? Like, say, is he going from like Pee Wee High School football to that the big time? And number two is, is he a big enough name? Can he recruit? I respect Ed Reed, like, say, Hall of Famer, but. 
I don't think he's just going to pull names in. Right? I don't know if Ed Reed thinks he can have the same effect as the Antanas, but I just don't think he carries the weight of ego. I don't think he, he's brash enough, bold enough. He's gonna If he's going to try and reenact this, he's not in the right place to do it. Because as you mentioned, Beth Ewan Cookman, one of the one of the most struggling schools in HBCU. Jackson State still had good scholars. They had money. They were able to, like, say, get Travis Hunter there in the first place. Ed Reed, is he going to have any of that? Is he going to be able to get some benefactors to come in? Is there going to be an injection of money? This, to me, just seems like bizarre, totally out of left field. And I don't know, it could, it could severely help the reputation or it could really damage it if it's just fly by and it don't work and it falls out. So this one, I'm really wary of it, to be honest. I've not got up against Red Reed, but I just, I just don't trust this in a football sense. Like I said, his heart is probably in a good place, but is he ready? Are they ready for what this could bring? I don't want to see uh, just a, an array of has-beens and old former players and that decide, well, I know what, I'm going to go pick a historic school or a school that's down its luck. I'm going to try to turn them around. It don't work like that. So I will, I'm going to have to look a lot more into this. Yeah, so as for the coaching experience, he had one year with the Bills in the NFL as their DB's coach, but that was all the way back in 2016. That was when Rex Ryan, I think it was, was there. Um, and then McDermott came and didn't retain him. So that that's the limit of the experience. And I'm kind of with you. I mean, in terms of the publicity for the school, obviously it's going to be huge, but yeah, you do need to make sure that you go there and you do a professional job because you don't want to... You don't want to almost ridicule, you know, these HBCUs get enough trouble as it is and you don't want them to be ridiculed just because they're hiring big players and still not doing anything with them. You want it to further the betterment and give them a level playing field because they really don't get a level playing field at this moment in time. But it's interesting. And I mean, if it's a way for former players to sort of get on the coaching ladder, if he's able to have three or four good years there and he goes and gets himself a Power 5 job as well, then maybe it's a way for guys to be able to get in, help the help the college circuit there, and also to get on the coaching ladder, I don't know. It's it's one to keep an eye on, but it's an intriguing one. Obviously, if you're a DB now, and you're looking for a school, you will want to go there. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of recruits he can get, but you would assume the corners and the safeties are going to go and want to play for him, and that is a defense that needs it. So, yeah, we will monitor the Ed Reed situation with great interest. So all the best of luck to Bethune Cookman, hopefully. Ed Reed has himself a good stint there. Um, in terms, of, yeah, there's been a few other little moves here and there, but we're just going to go on now. We're going to talk about some of the um, quarterback moves in the transfer portal uh, because a lot has been going off. A lot of QBs are in there. Some have decided to start committed to school, so we're going to discuss those. And big news that broke, I think it was yesterday, um, that Wake Forest quarterback Sam Hartman was expected to jump into the transfer portal, but his destination was already named. He is believed to be the next guy for the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. He fell 33 yards short of 13,000 passing yards at Wake Forest, and he managed to end his career there with a bowl win over Mizu just a few days ago. Ryan, you've been a big... Wake Forest fan for years now. I know you've watched Sam Hartman very closely over his collegiate career before. Is this what he needs? You know, get to Notre Dame, see if he can get them back in the playoffs, boost his draft stock for next year after 
I don't say almost stagnating at Wake Forest, but there's only so much he can do there with that defense. He's he's been throwing great for years, and they've never helped him out. So, is this good move for Sam Hartman? I think so. I think Notre Dame, a big school, it's a big platform, and yeah, hopefully his defense is better. Now, I I don't think he's going to have the weapon straight away. I know Notre Dame been doing a lot of recruiting, but that's been like 23 and 24 classes, and they'll get some freshmen in this year. Like I say, they pick up a guy I think called Jaden Greathouse, like a four-star receiver. And guys like uh, Ridley Hennigan, I think he's a four-star safety receiver. So they're bringing in talent, but it's not going to be bedded in for this one-year stint. Now, he's getting a good coach. Like I say, Max Freeman's going to like him. Can he do... Can he, They won't adopt the air raid, for one. Like They're not going to give no. him the keys to just throw the ball at will, like Wake Forest did. They're going to try probably the balance more offense, which could work in his favor because he deals some meltdowns in Wake Forest games where he just throws tons of interceptions. They're going to rein that in and ask him to pass the ball less. They started bad last year, but then finished the season fairly strongly. I'd like to think that this is probably the best stage he's going to have if he's going to have any draft stock at all. If he declared for the draft this year, I don't think he'd have been drafted. I think he'd have gone UDFA. Like I said, I like him, but people question the size, the strength, the system he's played in. And like I say, he's had this, obviously, the health scare this year as well. That's probably put things into perspective for him this year. So I, I like this. I think this is a good move for all pies. I think if he could improve his draft stock from UDFA to rounds five or six, he's done a good job. But there's a lot of expectation. You can't just join Notre Dame and think I'm going to coast to the draft because they've got a big fan base. And an expected like one. Yeah, expect at one, like you say, whether they've got good talent or not, because they're about to lose some key players to the draft. Like Foskey's going. Like I say, I don't. Well, I think Brandon Joseph is re- he entered the portal in it. Is he, is he returning? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what he's doing yet. He's got a decision to make, so there's still a lot of question about guys on that team. But yeah, he is going to be expected to have double digit wins probably and be in the playoff competition. And that is a lot for a year. Like I say, for a, a guy that could never get to an ACC title in some bad years with Wake Forest and around the league. So it's a big step up. I'm going to be interested to see their schedule, who they've got next year, who they're going to give him. Well, obviously the big one, they've got the rivalry game in Dublin. So if yeah. he thinks the expectation's bad there, you wait until the fight in Irish come to Ireland next year in the rivalry game. Navy, you get to see him live. See, look at the smile there. He loves Sam Hartman. He's going to get to see him next year. But it is, isn't it? The, the, the wave of expectation is going to be huge. Navy nearly upset them this year. And I know that upset a lot of fighting Irish fans that Navy nearly beat them again because that Navy coach who's just gone had their number for quite a few years in the 2010s. And they don't want that to happen again. Yeah. If he sinks, he'll never make it as a pro. He he will not be seen or heard of again, especially not in the NFL. He'll wind up in the XFL or the USFL or CFFL if he has a bad year. But if he can get them in playoff contention and he can get all eyes on him, you never know what's going to happen. Like I say, he's one of the most likable kids in football. Like I say, he's fought through injuries constantly. He's led a really good team. He's a good leader. Uh, advocate for mental health so yeah uh, uh, there's not many guys I'm pulling for more than him yeah no absolutely going to be interesting but yeah good move for him 
great chance for him to boost his draft stock for next year. If he can get Notre Dame back in the playoffs, then his stock is going to go to the moon, especially if he plays well. So best of luck to Sam Hartman with that one. But the um, the guy he's replacing, Ryan, this is going to be an interesting one because this is very close to home to you. Last year's starting Notre Dame quarterback, Drew Pine, or he eventually was when they stopped doing the whole rotation thing, his new home... Arizona State, the Sun Devils, Emory Jones is gone. It doesn't seem like it's uh, Bourget's season just yet. Uh, Dupine, uh, well, I guess he might be in a, I guess he might be in a camp battle against Bourget as he goes along. But how do you uh, feel with your new quarterback, Dupine, arriving in Arizona? I'm really happy actually. Emory Jones had a big name and came in, didn't deliver. Dupine, the numbers. If you look at the numbers last year, it says he had a good year. But if you look at the whole thing, he did face some adversity. Like you said, there were injuries. Training Borgia, Arizona State last year, did fine in relief of Jones. Came in, won some games, was close in some. Kenny Dillingham has gone out there. He's hit the portal hard. And ASU's brought in some guys. And we've got, it's not like we don't have weapons. Like Elijah Badger was one of the best freshman receivers in the country last year. They've got uh, guys from the portal. They've got some good recruits, three four-star receivers. And Kenny Dillingham ran a good offense for Oregon. And they got a, a stud FCS running back in the portal. So it's not like they're not giving a best go. Like I said, the Sun Devils right now are in a really bad low place. And expectations are not very high. But I think Drew Pine can be here for two, three years. Like I said, I think he can find a home here if he really wants it. ISU has had some success in recent years. Sure, Mike Berkovici, Taylor Kelly, guys like that have come through here and have had three, four year careers and they've put up some big numbers. So I think I think Kenny's going to get the best out of Drew if he stays healthy. But yeah, there will be a battle. Trenton Borgia will like to think he can keep this job and he did enough last year to be considered. So yeah, I like what they're doing. All right. So possible camp battle in Arizona State there. We'll see what happens now the one of the ones I'm really looking forward to I mean in terms of quarterback play over the last few years I've always had a soft spot for Purdue because I am a massive Aiden O'Connell fan I absolutely love him he's coming to the draft this year he's coming to the draft isn't he he is declared hasn't he yes I believe yeah so Aiden O'Connell is leaving and I was beginning to wonder what was going to happen with Purdue and my likeness for them and their quarterback play but I thought this was quite a surprising move by them, but you didn't seem to think so. But one Hudson Card is going to go to Purdue, presumably to be a star. Hudson Card, for those of you who know, he was the backup for Quinn Ewers at Texas this year. He is highly thought of as a quarterback, and he's just been kind of waiting for an opportunity to be able to play. And Ryan, you kind of the more I thought about this. That Purdue-style offense, which puts a lot of emphasis on slinging the ball around, you know, big plays, playmakers there, this could be a match made in heaven between Hudson Card and Purdue and could potentially provide a lot of entertainment value going forward in the Big Ten. Yeah, see, Hudson Card, like you say, a huge four-star recruit in, like, 29-2020. He was a big name, but he got buried. Like you say, when Quinn Ewers dived into Texas, suddenly Hudson was bumped down. Uh, when Ewers got injured, Hudson came in relief for what? I think he played three games this year. Mm. I think it was something like that. And he played okay. He's got some touchdowns, a few turnovers, but that's because he was just thrown in there. And like I say, he was, he was asked to play at a, a very short notice. This guy, 
He's got a good arm. He's big. He's athletic. In high school, put up some big numbers. But right now, as of yet, we've not seen it. But he's come here not because of the weapons that are here, because he wants to start. He wants to play football with a passing offence. I think TJ Sheffield's still there. I don't know what Charlie yes, Jones is doing. Draft. I think Charles is he declared? He's, a, he's declared. a super senior this he's year, senior. I think. That's so it. he's, he's draft bound. The tight end, the good tight end, I think will probably be draft bound as well. So they're, they're going to bring some guys into him. But I agree, yeah. Ian O'Connell had the good reign of a passing offense. Now, yeah, Jeff Brom has gone. But I still like to think that the offensive mind is still going to play to Hudson Card's strength. And at worst, we're going to see if he's legit or not. Basically, he's yeah. going to get command of an offence and he's going to be out there to sling it. If he plays all year and the team stinks, well, we know that he wasn't the guy that, that the rating said he was. But if he goes out there and leads them to a ball win and he's still got two, three years of eligibility, yeah. he's only been like around like two, two and a half years, so he's still got a lot of football to play. Maybe he's found a home. So this seems like a very sound investment. And to jump out of Texas makes a lot of sense because, well, Archman's coming. Like, what's Quinn Ewers going to do? Is he really yeah. going to stick around and fight him? I really don't think that that's going to happen. But he's leaving it too late to declare now. So Hudson got out early and got one of the, the safest starting positions possible. So, yeah, this could be one of those just really smart moves for both parties. Yeah, for, um, for those who didn't know, Arch has officially signed his his commitment to Texas now. So, barring anything unforeseen happening, I don't think he can renege it now, can he? Now, when you officially no, sign, I don't, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think you back out. So, Arch Manning to Texas is happening. Quinn Ewers, who knows what's going on there? So, very interesting. But I love this card to Purdue thing. I think. You know, when you said, like you said, when he first came out, he was a highly rated recruit. Purdue wouldn't have been able to get a guy like him, but now he's had a few years, sat around, not been able to do much for a team like Purdue, how they play. I just think this is a match made in heaven, and I would expect this to go well, providing they give him the opportunity to do Did so. Did you want weapons? Aguia Hall, the Texas receiver, and at the portal of the air to Hudson Card should text him or do <laughs> something to try getting there, getting someone that he knows. Yeah, because uh, right now there's limited weapons, but if they bring in some guys, they do can score some points. Don't have to win games, but you met. They're fun to watch. Whatever happens. Yeah, they they need to sort out that defense. It's not an offensive thing, but you know, at least hopefully you'll go there and fill the void left by Aiden O'Connell because he's a massive loss for them. But I think this is probably the best possible replacement they could have got for him in the circumstances. Big Airy seventy has joined us on Twitch. He's asked us a question. I will get to that question in a little bit. Big Airy, I'll go through this first, and then I'll I'll round on to that. Um, so next quarterbacks, there are a few more I wanted to mention. Ah, our our old friend Keaton Slovis Ryan has gone to BYU to screw up another team. I mean, BYU Jaron Hall is going to the draft this year, so they needed a new quarterback. Um, but I, d I don't feel like this is it. I feel like Keaton's going to get another year where because BYU are usually they're a run heavy team. They love to run the ball first, kind of like. Well, I'm not, not like Pitt, but I just don't know. I, I don't like this match at all, and I just don't think he's going to do that great there. But I don't know. Different opinion? This, this BYU team is going to struggle. It's either Blake Freeland or Clark Barrington. One of them just hit the portal a week ago. Star tackle. I think Clark I think did. it's Barrington. Because we did a segment on him earlier in the yeah, season, which is why I remembered huge, him. That is a huge loss. Mm. So Keen Slovis is already losing key members of the offensive line. They're losing players against the draft. 
And BYU, like I say, losing Jaron Hall, who was pretty dynamic. Slovis, oh, it, it's like pulling teeth watching him play sometimes. I don't like the fit. That they, this just this just won't work out very well for either team. No, like say, and, they, and if there's not much competition there to battle him, we saw it didn't go that well this year against Slovis. Like yeah. I say, he's just not what we thought it was. That freshman season for USC, where he was a breath of fresh air. It's long it gone. Fool's gold. Like, that system played towards him. And since then, he's been hung out to drive everywhere. And he just turns the ball over. Yeah, yeah. That, that man's JT Daniels, I think. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that pit offence last year was Israel of Anaconda. So, I mean, it's... It's last chance saloon for him there. I mean, BYU, they need a passer. They, they miss Tyler Religier, something chronic this season. They need a run game first and foremost. Keaton's not going to have an Abanacanda-sized rescue blanket to rely on this year at the minute because it didn't look like BYU really had anyone at running back this year. So if they can't do that, there's going to be a lot on him. And for a team that doesn't pass the ball a whole lot and loves to run it, I don't know. Pukanasu is coming to the draft, so he's losing his top receiver. It's just a hot, it's a tough situation at the minute. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. But not at this point expecting much from from Slovis and BYU. And we made the same prediction last year when he went to Pitt, and that one was proven true. Grand Isaac goes. I do wish Keaton Slovis would start to get on track. He played for Kurt Warner in Arizona High School. Yeah, quite a few guys did, but it just doesn't always work out. Not everybody is a Kurt, unfortunately. Um, you quickly mentioned JT Daniels there. He's got a rice now. I, I like mean, that yeah. Well, let's talk about it. I mean, this is the fall from grace continues from all all the years ago. Been the high five star guy. He's had injuries. It's been tough. I thought he did pretty well at West Virginia in the circumstances. At least he stayed healthy for the most part. But he's now transferred to Rice, who have not had the greatest season and got blown out in their bowl game. However. It is an opportunity for him to go there and make something good of his final year. They, This is a big get for them, even despite his troubles in recent years. Yeah, I actually watched most of that ball game. And so they've got some weapons. They've got Luke McCaffrey, mm. who was a pretty high-level recruit a few years ago. I might say part of the famous family, I think. I'm pretty sure he's related to the other McCaffreys. So, yeah. And he had a really good year, like 750 yards. So he's getting a number one receiver. That bowl game as well, they have some good tight ends. I saw good tight end play. It looks like a decent passing offense. And, yeah, they made a bowl game, like I said, they got blown out. But he's joining a team that's not terrible. And the expectations aren't that high. I can see JT Daniels putting up pretty big numbers on offense. I just don't know if they'll win many games because I can't say a lot about Rice, the rest of the team. But I think, yeah, good recruit for them. And for him, just play somewhere with a little less pressure. Yeah. I can see him actually having a monster year, and it'll probably go totally like under the radar. Mm. Not to help his draft stock any better, but right now, that's probably the least of his worries. Just, just have a good year because every year before this one, it's just been setback after setback. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, the health wasn't a problem this year. It was just some of the play. Obviously, the West Virginia defense did not help him, but. Yeah, it's it's been a slow and slippery slope for him. So hopefully JT can have a good year at Rice again. We'll keep track of all these guys as they go along. Another guy looking for a new start, a fresh home after wilting under the lights. He's going to be playing against you in the Pac-12 next year, Ryan. Yeah. DJU has gone to Oregon State. Yeah. And I mean, this is... 
Oregon State, they took down Oregon at the end of the season. They absolutely walloped Florida in a bowl game. This is a team who have aspirations. This is a team who have had a decent year, all told, and they are going to want to be near the top of the Pac-12 standings next year. I mean, it's a new home for him, but the expectation's going to be maybe even worse than Clemson. At Clemson, you expect to, with a load of five stars, and in a conference, you kind of rule, but at Oregon State, they are a medium-sized fish in a big-sized pond with a lot of other bigger fish in there, and they're going to expect him to win. How do you how do you see this one holding out between DJU and Oregon State? I don't think he'll command the offense. I don't think he'll command the offense like Chance Norland did this year. I think Chance Norland had a good year, like you say. They had a really good run game as well, but they're losing Luke Musgrave. Their star tight ends the draft. Their best corner, Rajon Wright, is believed to go to the draft. That's two big losses on that team already. Like I say, they got nine, ten wins, but can they replicate it again next year? Was this one of those years where everything just went well? Or do they suddenly start to go back to being Oregon's little brother again next year? He's joining a team that's had one of its... I'm pretty sure they said that they've only had like five, ten-win seasons of like program history. Yeah, not many. Mm. Yeah. So can he replicate this next year? No, I don't think he can. Like I say, he's losing guys, and he can't be playing with much confidence right now. I say he's fallen from grace. I say he was always going to get lose his job to Cade at some point, but this year did not go very well. Started well, but it did fizzle out. And he's a big name recruit, and yeah, it was he was he was rumored to be going to all these big schools, mm. going with his brother, who's at Oregon. Like I say, yeah, the recruit the five star, for the defensive end. But yeah, this one to me is the most fascinating. He's joining a team that is expected to win, is ready to win, and wants to try and win the Pac-12. He's got, what, one good year of eligibility? Yeah. He's got he's got to make it happen. And if he does not do all this year, draft stock in Taz. And, and say it very quietly, but the Pac-12 is potentially the most competitive of the Power Five at the minute. I mean, you've got you've got your Michael Penix Jr. is returning. You've so got, Washington will be relevant again. You've got your top tier teams. You've got your Washingtons. You've got your Oregon's Utah. in there. You've got Utah in there, and then you look at the bottom. Colorado now. Colorado have got Deion Sanders. They're going to recruit like hell. Arizona, their star is rising. They had a good year last year. You would expect your own Sun Devils to rebound. I mean. That potentially is going to be the toughest conference out of the entire Power Five next year. Every week is going to be an incredibly tough fixture. There's going to be no guineas in that conference next season. Oh, it's been scooping up transfers left, right, and centre. Nearly every mm. ACC quarterback that started this year is gone. And the, but on the flip side, the Pac-12 has just been bringing in portal players left, right, and centre. They're just rebuilding rosters, yeah. So it's wide open. Like, say, Oregon, Oregon State, like, say, Utah... I think we're going to see Michael Penix Jr. light up again. So Washington, dark horse year again. As you say, Jane Delora, fantastic year for Arizona. Can he do it again? It wasn't a fluke. Will they go back to being bad or can they improve again? So, And then Colorado, yeah, Shadar Sanders. I love the kid. I can't wait to see him play. And they're just scooping up players left, right and centre. Mm. All eyes on the Pac-12 next year. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's going to be it's uber. Good, it's good for the conference. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, don't ask me. I mean, even next year, 
don't ask me a winner when we do it because I just won't be able to pick one I don't think we'll have to, this going to require a lot more examination before we get to that point it's, it's wide open at this moment in time a couple more before we move on now one of the other really intriguing moves here Kentucky are losing Will Levis to the draft this year uh, who, who the hell knows what's going to happen with him there's going to be a lot of a lot of debate about Will Levis before all is said and done um, but they've got their replacement and a guy I'm very familiar with because I'm a Wolfpack guy Devin Leary has decided to transfer to Kentucky and is going to chance his luck there I mean that is a good move for Devin he's going to get to play in the SEC against some top quality opposition but he's going to need a much better Kentucky team around him next year to have any better look than what Will Levis did because for all the tap Levis gets he's still a very talented quarterback and he wasn't able to do anything there because of the team around him and because he kind of regressed a bit can Devin do better than Will with Kentucky no I don't think so but is the offensive line going to get better he's lost Chris Rodriguez mm -hmm. are they going to bring in some receivers they're giving him some weapons to throw to I can't name any of the Kentucky receivers from last year right Will Levis was set up to fail. Why is Devin Leary going to be any better off? And a lot of boards had him as like in the top five portal players when he entered. He was one of the highest things. Now, when you weigh up, do you want to play in the biggest stage and get the most views? Yeah. But do you want to be successful? Do you want to actually win games or just have eyes watching you? I feel like he's made a very risky choice. I don't know. I feel like this one could end in tears. I feel like he's he's. He's taken a big gamble, hasn't he? I think is the thing. He's, he's decided he right. Yeah. SEC, but I don't know if he's picked the right option for a team that is he going to win ten games in Kentucky with the the talent that was I there think, last year. I no, think, I don't think he will. No, but I guess the potential prize is if he does with if he does win ten with Kentucky, it kind of does his stock more boost than it would having another good season with NC State. As much as it pains me to say, because I love him, I, I loved him there. So, yeah, I. Leary's going to be interesting. Be yeah, that that's kind of kept my interest in Kentucky alive because I was a Levis fan before this season, and I will be always a Devin Leary fan because he's owned Florida State over his career. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with him. He's done a Spencer um, Rattler. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's he's gone to try and boost the stuff. There's Spencer Rattler tried and. I mean, if Spencer Rattler had had a full season like those last two games, maybe we'd be talking a lot differently about him now. But, yeah, interesting times for Devin Leary in Kentucky. Uh, Depp Fanman goes, as long as the Lions decide to leave us him for someone else to the draft, it will all be fine. Depp Fanman's been listening to Ash a bit too much, I feel. That is an Ash joke all along, but it did make me See, chuckle a little I think, bit. I think Will Leavis will be gone before we pick. yeah. I agree. Someone's going There's to... so many people so high on him. I've seen the mock uh, three to Seattle. The thing is, and I know it's a, it's the laziest comparison in the world, Will Levis to Josh Allen. It is so lazy as a comparison. But when you start saying that, a lot of teams will remember, oh my God, we all passed on Josh Allen. Can we afford to potentially pass on another Josh Allen? That's why this sort of hype comes up. You know, teams will be scared about passing on potentially getting another guy, and it's it's lazy. It's really damn lazy. That's why he's going to go I mean, high if he so does. People yeah, Cam Newton and Lamar Jackson. Exactly. He's go really high too. Exactly. He could go to Detroit with our second pick because they're thinking, can we afford to pass on a yeah. potential jump right star? And it's hard to really argue that teams out there, yeah, are thinking about the future. Of course, and he's it, it, worth the gamble. Exactly. So it's not. 
because yeah, like I say, I like my QBs to have had good college play before they come to my team. I like to see that they've done it, and, and Richardson and Levis have not done that this year. I don't see the good tape from them, and I don't want them anywhere near, but like I say, the intangibles, someone will pick them. People will go crazy when Richardson reaches his pro day and that, and, you know, ignore pro days, 100%. Ignore them. Watch the tape. Always the way to do a player, but someone is going to pick them high. Uh, John Ball goes, just got in. Hi all, hi to you, John. Hope you are well as always. Hope you're having a great Christmas period. Thank you for joining us. As always, we do really appreciate it. Last one I wanted to mention, maybe the weirdest one of them all that I had on here, but a bit of Mac attack action here. Kent State, they need a new quarterback because Colin Schley has headed on over to UCLA. He's going to be locking horns, maybe, with some of you over in the Pac-12 there. Now, if he does... This is quite obviously a one-year bridge, isn't it, right? Because the big news coming out of recruiting season is that UCLA flipped Dante Moore, the huge five-star recruit who was meant to be going to Oregon. He decommitted just after his offensive coordinator left, and they have flipped him, and he will be arriving in 2024. But, you know, that Kent State team with Schley under center has been pretty good in the MAC. I know the MAC's been pretty terrible altogether. They've got a bad defense, but possibly... A chance for him to shine in a one-year window now that DTR is coming to the draft. I mean, it's a huge, it's massive. Just realise that you are expected to win the Pac-12 now. Like they've, they've had like multiple good years. He realises that he's he's jumping out of the frying pan and into the fire. And yeah, DTR is going, Charbonnet is going in draft, but it's still pretty loaded. Uh, he he better be ready for what's going to come. This this could be terrible. Like I said, if he cannot reach those lofty heights and command that offense the way it should be, like this could be a terrible year for the Bruins. They could really have to rely on the defense or try for a run game because the level of competition he's about to go up against is going to be tons higher. Oh yeah, absolutely. This is this is a new barrel. Of, this is a new kettle of fish altogether. But I mean, it's an opportunity for Colin Schley himself. Who knows? He might not even start. I don't know what the rest of the quarterback room is like there. I think they've got a four star. Hidden I'm surprised they're not, like, I know DJ was linked to USCLA, I don't think his visit ever happened, but no. I'm surprised they've not got a big name. No. Like, you'd have thought they'd have got one of the bigger name guys. No, unless they've just decided, you know what, we're going to have a one-year bridge, we're going to load it's not up. not in the carat pay in NIL. No, exactly. UCLA's got, UCLA's got bags of money. Unless, yeah, unless they, you know, they flip Dante Moore out. He's Dante Moore's going to start as a freshman, pretty much, isn't he? He's going to start as soon as he gets there, if he if the hype lives up to it and he has a good preseason. So maybe they're thinking you pay someone big to go over there, but then he only keeps one year. You've got quarterback controversy. I don't know. It does kind of smack of a little bit of a bridge there for now until until more arrives. And, of course, there's still the opportunity that he might flip and go elsewhere. So um, who knows with that one. We'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But, yeah, Colin Schley, gone from the Mac to the Pack. Um, right, that is it in kind of the uh, quarterback land at the moment. There are others to keep an eye on. Grayson McCall is in at the moment. That's going to be big as to where he goes. If he goes, he may still go to the draft ball. He was a lot of people's day three draft darling, especially for the Lions. But as it stands, he is going to go back to college. But we've got to see the extent of his concussion injury that he suffered yesterday. It doesn't seem to be too bad, but with concussions you can never tell. So at least hopefully he is all right. 
because um, it was nasty how he went over. He landed straight on his head, and it did look rather horrible. Um, right, let's move it on, and let's let's talk about the bowl games. We'll move on to the bowl review now. As I say, we're we're kind of about halfway through. There's about 42 bowl games. I think we're 22 or 23 in at this moment in time. They're going to be going on for the next week. There's some taking place today. I think there's one taking place even now. I can't remember who it is, but um, there's about five or six games today, and they're going to carry on for the next week so just a congratulations to the winners so far so the university of alabama in birmingham or uab as we know them as troy oregon state louisville fresno state southern miss byu boise state marshall eastern michigan toledo western kentucky air force houston wake forest middle tennessee state New Mexico State, we'll talk about that one, Buffalo, Memphis, East Carolina, and as of yesterday, Wisconsin have all punched their bowl wins and ended their season with a bang. Um, and the pick watch me and Ryan are doing, Ryan currently leads me 11-10, to 10, so it is very close. Our predictions so far have been... Uh, very, very close. Oh, I've missed one. I've missed probably one of the biggest ones, but I can segue into it. The Celebration Bowl, Ryan. Probably the best game of the lot so far. The 1-4 over by the HBCU schools. Winner of the SWAC and the MIAC. Jackson State, Deion Sanders' last game against North Carolina Central. I went with North Carolina Central. I thought the upset could be there, and they ended Deion Sanders' career at Jackson State with a loss in what was by far for me the best bowl game so far it was tremendous Shadur Sanders clutch with the last throw of the game as time expired found Travis Hunter the five star from last year who's joining him in Colorado that is going to be a wonderful pair to watch there but North Carolina they they shook it off they shook off the disappointment they went into overtime and they won the whole thing, which rounds off a fantastic season for them and a massive scalp. But, um, yeah, Celebration Bowl was a cracker, wasn't it? Yeah, it was one of those where they played like they were upset because everyone was like just neglecting them. There was no talk about them. No one cared about them. There was no eyes on them. It was all Dion I, Dion this, Colorado, Mr. Prime, like I say. And they really they shut them up. Like I said, it was not how he would have wanted to end his stint at Jackson State. Him or Shadur or Shiloh, any of them, like I said, they would have been really disappointed to get to overtime and then fall short right at the end. They've been a powerhouse pretty much all year. So I feel like they're probably a bit stunned that they lost that game and probably a bit frustrated. But yeah, like I said, I suppose David took down Goliath in what was one of is the best game so far. And it was thoroughly deserved. They hung with one of the best offences in the country. and went blow for blow for them. And in the end, outlasted them. Which most teams will. No one's been able to do this year so far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Hawkstens in the YouTube chat says, Hi, hi to you. Thanks for joining. Um, yeah, big, big win there for North Carolina Central in their bowl game. So we'll talk about some of the players and some of the teams who have impressed us so far. Let's let's go with teams first. And there's a couple I've mentioned here who I uh, I want to give props to, Rye. So they're the hometown or they're the home state team here, but Eastern Michigan have been very waxing lyrical about Chris, Chris Creighton, 
and how he has done there. They broke some really big records in their bowl win here. So it's been 35 years since Eastern Michigan won a bowl game. They won against San Jose State this time, um, and it's the second bowl win that they've ever had. It's only the second time the Eagles have won a bowl game. The last one they won was in 1987. And do you want to know who they beat in that bowl game? San Jose State. <laughs> so they have won two bowl games in their entire career, 35 years apart, against the same team. And in doing so, they finish with a nine-win season and it is also their first nine-win season since 1987, when they went 10-2. and two. So history has repeated itself twice, in this case for Eastern Michigan. But I mean, this was not a fluke win. They dominated San Jose State, absolutely killed them. And it, this can go down as nothing but an utter stellar success for Eastern Michigan this season. Nine wins, bowl eligibility... First bowl win in 35 years. What a job Chris Creighton's done there. Yeah, it's he's done it with an ethos of tough, gritty football. Samson Evans, I've seen him play four <laughs> or five times this year, the running back. Put the team on his back all year, and he has got big runs, explosive runs, touchdowns, but he has done all that dirty work in between the tackles. He has had plenty of touches. He has got battered, beaten up all year and shaken it off. He had a big game in the bowl game. He blasted Arizona State for one of the biggest program wins in Tempe. And he has been the, the heart and soul of that team. I'd say he had like 14, 15 touchdowns, I think, something like that on the year. He, he really was the, the powerhorse and everything that they relied on. And Chris Crichton really can thank him for how far they've done this year. I'd say good offensive line play as well. And good complimentary quarterback play. So, yeah, they, they've had a really good, strong, balanced offense, and their defense as well has been able to hook up when needed. So they've had a fantastic year, and I'd say by far the best team overall in the MAC this year. Just even though they didn't win the title game, I don't yeah. mean they weren't the best. Like I said, when it came to it, in the big games against big opposition, they stood tall, and they did the MAC really proud. And, yeah, Chris Crichton deserves all the plaudits. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's been a great season for them. And you kind of wonder now, I mean, he's had them at sort of bowl eligibility since he's been there, and it's been tough, but now a nine-win season, are they going to make a push for the MAC now? Can they take that next step forward and challenge for a MAC title? Because that conference is open. So that is going to be one of the big stories going into next year. Can Eastern Michigan finally take that step and win themselves a championship? And if they do, Chris Crichton should get coach of the year, and it shouldn't even be close but yes well done to eastern michigan a couple of the other teams i wanted to mention so fresno state they probably get comeback team of the year here this is a team who started off the season one and four jake hayner was absent was not playing and everything looked lost they've ended the season ten and four They've won nine straight games. They have won a Mountain West crown. They are kings of the mountains. And they have a bowl win under their name as well. Star running back Jordan Mims. 
210 yards and two touchdowns on just 18 carries, and their defense obliterated Washington State. We both bet on Washington State. Big Cameron Ward fan. He played. They annihilated him. And I mean, what a turnaround from Fresno this year. We've mocked the Mountain West for how bad it's been and that, but maybe, just maybe, there is a team or two in there who is legit. And from going from 1-4 and four to a 10-4, and four, a conference championship and a dominant bowl victory, that is a hell of a turnaround for Fresno. Yeah, especially after uh, DeBoer, the long-time head coach, left. Mm. So this was a team that was going in with a new head coach, questions at the uh, quarterback position. What would Hayner do? Uh, star receiver, Jill uh, Cropper. I think he missed some time this season. I'd say he's he's going to win maybe the draft darling. So there were questions about this team. And everyone thought they were right about them, like I said, after five weeks. But then just went on this miraculous run. I watched the uh, Mountain West title game. It was an ugly slog fest. But they shut down Boise State. They took the ball away. They picked off Tyler Green a few times, generated turnovers, thoroughly winners in the end. And yeah, I didn't think they could keep up with a Washington State team that at times this season has scored heavily and the defense had guys. But I was super let down by Washington State, but I was impressed at the same time by Fresno State that they were able to put up such a strong, sturdy performance. And yeah, it's interesting to see what happens next year because now their hands are tied, like you said, their guys will be leaving. So, yeah. if, they, if this was their last game, like you say, nice, at least they've ended on a high and they've left Fresno State in a really good position. Yeah, because they, they were so near to getting the title and they, they just fell short and now they finally got one, so you don't know. And, you know, like I say, Jordan Mims over 200 yards, he's a runner... And- this is how you can tell that a running back class is loaded. Nobody talks about him, but he has steadfastly had a great year and has been sort of, you know, everyone thinks Hayne is the heartbeat of that offense, but secretly on the down low, it's him. At running back, he's the one who keeps it all churning out and going, and he turned out big when they needed him. Yeah, they're more than balancing offense, and that's not always been the same in the past. Let's say two years ago, it was Jake Hayner and uh, John Cropper, just that, that tandem that people were like, well, if you take that away, you win the game. And most teams just couldn't stop it. They just, they just connected time yeah. and time again, week in, week out, and they're explosive. But now they've become more balanced, and it, it, it's benefited. This team is better than it was a year ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. One, 100%, absolutely. A um, couple of other teams are quickly picked out. The, the Troy Trojans... This was a game I was really looking forward to. Played UTSA, the Sunbelt champions versus CUSA champions. The only all-championship battle out of all the teams. Out of two teams who've won. And this is a stat and half right. We talked about how Troy's defense was going to be the deciding factor in this. Or at least I, I do. I've, I've played them up all year. Troy became the first team to win a bowl game with less than 175 yards of offense since UCLA in the 2002 Las Vegas Bowl against New Mexico. And I mean, you know, 100 yards could probably be a good New Mexico side. I mean, 175 yards of offense and you win a bowl game by more than one score. That is testament to how great that Troy defense is. They... They are one of the best units in the entire country, hands down. But it was still a really good game in terms of turnover. They turned over Frank Harris twice. They got a strip sack on him. It, incredible defensive display from Troy. 
Oh, yeah, they stopped one of the best offences in the nation. Mm. Look at what UTSA did in that title game. Frank Harris, Zakari Franklin, they, they, they diced. What did they score, like 45 points? Nearly 50. Close in the game. Yeah. And then Troy proved that they can score up too because they slapped about Coastal Carolina. Something wrong. That was embarrassing. Yeah. They were 37-7 up at one point, so their defence can stop anyone, but they also can score points, and a lot of people seem to forget that. Yeah. So when the two marry like this, and they're offense, and they're efficient, I say they don't have too much offense, but they score points when it matters. They're incredibly hard to take down. Oh yeah, I mean if they sort of bring 60-70% of that production back on offense, on defense next year, that's got to be a nasty unit again. It just depends how many of the guys they can hold on to because there will be portal interest in some of the better ones. A few of the other teams mentioned, uh, the Air Force Falcons, uh, they won their ball game against the Baylor Bears. They rushed, for two, watched that. they rushed for 276 yards and you know... When we've talked about Air Force, we had them winning the Mountain West, and we think they've had a really disappointing season, but they've actually finished off 10-3 and with five straight victories. And this is the first time they've had back-to-back 10-win seasons since 1997-1998 season. Brad Roberts, 37 carries for 116 yards and two touchdowns. It's his 11th 100-yard game of the season and actually means, as of now, he is the leading rusher in the nation. No one has rushed for more yards than him this year. So what seemed a disappointing year for Air Force in the Mountain West, which it was, it's still, for a service team, a bowl win, 10 wins, is a respectable year, even if they didn't reach the heights they wanted to. The losses in conference play cost them a, t- cost them a title game. Like I said, that, that was disappointing. But out of conference really good and I watched this game that Baylor defensive line absolutely mauled that defense ravaged the uh, Air Force quad, uh, linebackers got to uh, the Baylor QB Shepard had a, a really rough day uh, and Zeke Daniels is one of the best uh, service academy blogs he can throw when he needs to he can run the ball he can command an offense and Brad Roberts is going to get drafted I have no shadow of a doubt I've been saying this. I really like him. He's got a lot of wear and tear and a lot of mileage on the body. But the new bill passed last week that uh, means it's going to be a lot easier for him to get drafted after the Andre Carter thing. He's going to work in his favour. And he's going to be the next kind of guy like Zach Zenner that sits on a practice squad at some point but will get called up, will have a big kind of game and and will bounce around from team to team. But yeah, he will have a career in some form. Special teams are all, like you say, because... He's a reliable, dependable workhorse. And yeah, Baylor, just outclassed. Like, the, Baylor should not be getting destroyed by an Air Force team like that. This, this Dave Arantzer Baylor team the last year or two has gone from, like, top of the hill, like, title game, game blowing out, to, like, say, getting their ass handed to them by Air Force. And I don't know where the Bears go from here. Caps off a really bad year. I think the one thing you noticed, and obviously they lost the big safety pair last year, and those safeties were massive in the run game last year. You bring them up, and you've got additional run support, and it was noticeably lacking for them this time. And yeah, you've got to fix that defense. That Baylor's defense last year would not have got manhandled like that, but you know, Air Force played to them. They uh, they ended up doing well on the season. The only other one I mentioned, what to mention, Western Kentucky. Uh, they blitzed South Alabama. They had nearly 700 yards of total offense. 
Um, Austin Reed, the quarterback, obviously came in to replace Bailey Zappi, who had the best passing season ever. They they didn't go away from the air raid. They're still air raid. He finished second in the FBS in passing yard to Michael Penix Jr., obviously of Washington. He had 36 of 55 passes for a career high 497 yards. He was just three yards short of a 500-yard day. Tossed four touchdown passes. He's had nine 300-yard passing games this season. Western Kentucky doing Western Kentucky things right. Bailey Zappe mightn't be gone, but long live the air raid. Yeah, it's just... Can't stop it, can you? You know what they want to do, and they don't change it. They challenge it to stop it, and it's hard because it's just drilled in. It's a good system. And it's a system that proves like that. If you can plug in a quarterback, you can basically make it tick. It's not attractive, and it's... It doesn't make pro quarterbacks, but it makes damn good college quarterbacks because some of the best QBs of the last decade in college football, most of them have played in air raid systems. Mm, exactly, and you know that's why you say you've got to be careful because you look if you just looked at the stats and you say, "Oh, second in all of college football, he must be good." Well, he's all right, but he's in a system designed to get big yardage. There ain't no run game, you know. There ain't no game management. It's just toss the ball, keep tossing it, throw it as far as you can. There'll be receivers down there for you. So you've got to be careful. Are there any other teams you want to mention before we go through some of the individuals? Any other teams that stood out from any of the games you've watched? Anything you want to mention? Yeah, uh, well, in the shortest way, like East Carolina, like you say, that that was a super fun game last night. They're a really good team, and do you know what? For a number of years now, the Pirates have been really solid. Mm-hmm. Like you say, their QB deserves a lot of love. I don't know if you've got him on a list. I know you've got, I know we'll have the running back. Halter Ehlers so, is there. Keaton Mitchell. Keaton yeah. Ke- yeah. Ke- Mitchell was amazing. Halton Ehlers sets a new Birmingham Bowl record for five passing touchdowns, no exceptions, uh, on three 30 completions. Finishes a four and a half year career with like 13,000 yards, nearly 100 touchdowns. Like 30 interceptions, all-time AAC passing quarterback, passes Clayton Tune, who is a legend in his own right. Like one of the most underrated and probably the least talked about QBs of probably the last decade. And yeah, gets the ball win for ECU, which is the best way to go out of his career. So yeah, but yeah, keep Mitchell, like I say, we saw two sophomore running backs last night who we just know have got a bright future in football, Braylon and Keaton, next year two guys to watch massively absolutely and you know we were chatting about Ayla's earlier but you think potentially with Halton Ayla's there's an NFL future there as well yeah I think he's the kind of guy that will be a practice squad could be a QB3 kind of guy like you say he's not that old but he's got like a six stocky six three six four frame and he's got good experience and he's shown that he can make all the throws he's great reasonably athletic there's not a lot he can't do, so he can certainly hold a clipboard next level. He can be on a practice squad, like he can go up against you. So his pro day will be big, but if he's not there, like it'd be crazy for wanting like the XFL or yeah. the CFL or USFL. Like said, he's going to be a pro quarterback somewhere. Oh yeah, yeah. What? What? what I, I I do agree. I think he goes under the radar, doesn't he? Like I say, East Carolina, they're kind of like. They're the henchmen of the main boss, aren't they? They're quite good, but they're always kind of beatable. They're never right up there as an elite team, but they're always a very tough team. They just never kind of seem to take that step onwards from it. But 
Yeah, I agree. There could be something there with him. Right, so we've talked about a few of the teams we've been impressed with. Sorry, did you want to mention another? I just want to say I'm so glad for Jim Leonard. Yes. Okay, Wisconsin got the win. I yeah. don't care about the obstacle, but Jim Leonard deserved the win because he's kept that team together this year and he got the he got the dunk of the eye up his hand and now they're going to part where they agreed not to stay on. But Jim Leonard got by next year. Yeah, I I I think it was it it was nice how they sort of did it. He got all the acclaim for it. Luke Fickle stayed well away, and you know, yeah, the, I I really enjoyed that little moment there between them. So you know, good for him, good end there. And Wisconsin, they've now got something to build on. I think that's three ball wins in a row for Wisconsin now. So they just need to start trying to make the progress up towards the Big Ten title games again because they seem to have slipped in that regards. Right, let's talk about some of the players who've been impressive. And I, There's only really one place we can start here with the players who've impressed. He's the son of an NFL legend, the son of an NFL Hall of Famer. He carries his dad's name. And of course, we're talking about Southern Miss's own running back, quarterback, wide receiver, extraordinaire, Frank Gore Jr. Um... His game that they played against, I think, Southern Miss was against Rice, wasn't it? Was it Southern Miss Rice? Yeah, and yeah, 21 carries for 329 yards. That, ladies and gentlemen, is an average slightly shy of 16 yards per carry. So a first down and a half every time he touched the ball. He had two touchdowns, and just for good measure, he threw Three passes, completed two of them for 19 yards, and one of them was a touchdown throw. I mean, he shattered school records. He shattered national records. I think it's the most rushed ever by a running back in a bowl game before. I mean, there still needs to be a lot more from Frank Gore Jr., but the minute he is doing his dad's proud name, very proud at this moment in time, he had a hell of a day. Yeah, had a really good year. Yeah, right. So he 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 looks just like his dad as well. So I thought of it. He's he's his twin of Frank Gore. Mm. Right. So they're built the same. He's short. He's stocky. He's got big quads. Like I say, he runs the same kind of game. He's a north and south kind of guy. He he runs through tackles. I think he's broken loads of tackles too. Great numbers in that camp. Like I say, and then yeah, they got tricky with it. Multiple flea flickers on their uh, trick players win. It's not often you see a running back attempt three passes in a game. But, yeah, commit, completed two of them. And, yeah, set a full record for every rushing. And, yeah, he was, they were playing a good Rice team, too. That say I watched that mm. game. or a good passing offense. It was a really fun game. But, yeah, just had his way with them. Like it's going to be interesting to see what he can do in the next... Like, I think he's only like a sophomore. So, he's still yeah, got three, he's... three years. Yeah. He's still a young kid, but, yeah. He's going on the right path to replicating something like his dad did, and it's going to be fun to watch. But, I mean, you know, as a running back, what makes him stand out as well is, is the quarterback play. You can kind of almost envisage a Taysom Hill-type scenario. I know it's it, that's a lazy comparison, but he can pass the ball very well. He's been the starting quarterback for the Eagles, and he's played pretty well. So if you sort of mix that in with how he plays... There's going to be an offensive coordinator somewhere in the NFL when draft time comes who is going to be absolutely banging his head coach's door down 
demanding he be drafted as high as possible if you can sort of make something niche work with it, isn't there? Yeah, he's been called up as basically an emergency QB. He's been in situations where they just had to pull him in, plug him, and commendable, yeah. He's obviously gone through a ball, practicing throw ball, and also run. I imagine in high school, probably played defense. Probably played a multi, wherever the coach asked him to play, he'll probably play it. So there's a number of positions he could really play if he wanted to, but the offense seems ways. He's rested his hat. So yeah, but yeah, he's going to do a lot of things. And next year, they're probably going to use him in a lot of fun ways. Mm. And we'll see if he outgrows Southern Miss. Yeah, yeah, that's something. They're not to the be... biggest school, so is he going to? I'd be surprised if he continues. Betray does not hit the portal at some point. Yeah, someone might very well come knocking for him. You never know, especially in this age where tampering is basically legal. So <laughs> you never know. He, he might end up moving as of yet. And then the other guy I want to mention in this game, actually, on the other side of the ball for Southern Miss, was their senior linebacker, Dalen Gill. So he led this. He had 11 tackles on the day, three tackles for loss, and three sacks. He owned that Rice offensive line and really stood out as a guy there. But, you know, we said Frank had a good game on offense, but Southern Miss, in general, both sides of the ball just kind of killed Rice, really, in this one. Yeah, complimentary football, and they shut down good passing offense. I said, look, McCaffrey was kept fairly quiet, had some decent explosive players, but they didn't give up too many chunk players, despite, I say, a lot of good tight end sets and some really tight receivers. It was a... It was a fun game, both sides of the ball. Both teams actually played really well and gave a good account of themselves. And it turned out to be a pretty fun watch. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, okay, I'll hand it over to you. Any other players who you've been kind of watching in these games who stood out for you, whether it be for draft stock coming up or future years? Who do you want to highlight out of some of the ball games you've seen so far? I can't remember his name, but I was impressed by the Wisconsin uh, backup running back last night, actually. I feel like Alan got some touches, but not Cortez, it's somewhere like that. But he, he played really well. On the other side of the ball, it's gone to like, say Oklahoma State. They're, they're in trouble. I say Rangel, their QB. I'm not sure where they go from there. So they say he had two touches, but had two bad interceptions as well. So and Oklahoma State, I think, are a team in trouble next year. Now Spencer Sanders has, uh, has waved on there, but uh, individual performances. Uh, the Memphis Memphis cornerback had two picks. Oh, I watched the Memphis. Game. I watched the Memphis game. We, I think we both. Their defense was really good. We both picked them, and they, yeah, they were amazing. Um, Seth yeah. Hennigan as well, the QB. They've, they've got a good QB, Seth Hennigan. Uh, Kyle Van Trees. That was kind of fun. Southern and Buffalo, the former quarterback, just in a losing effort, just shredding them. Like, this guy's like. Is he like six foot nine or something? Six foot eight? I think he's an absolute man mountain Kyle Van Trees. Yeah. Absolutely just dropping dimes on them. 308 yards. But had a good career, like I said, when he was in Buffalo. He's quite a talented quarterback. But yeah. It was funny to watch them go head to head. Louisville. Yeah. The Louisville Cincinnati game. No. That, that was ugly. For I just wasn't even a fun watch, but yeah. To see, to see Southfield on the losing side already after swapping sides, it, it just wasn't very good. Oh no, it was it, it, it was rough. Yeah, I agree. I did watch that. Well, 
it was one-sided as they come really wasn't it it, it, it wasn't really much after a while um Silvanta Oliver was the um Memphis cornerback who got the two picks on the day but they just they had their way with Utah State I mean Cooper Legas took a really bad injury so that's potentially bad for Utah State next year because he, he really hobbled off so that could be pretty bad for him and they just had a rotten year by all accounts so Memphis yeah there was uh, uh great I think they end up seven and six he was those were two six and six teams seven and six it's disappointing for Memphis but they end it with a ball game and if you can end the season on a ball game you can give yourself some uh some momentum going forward, let's say, um, but there wasn't much to like on Utah State side. They were awful. Um, anyone else you want to mention, or shall we move it on? I didn't see too many. I've only watched so many bowl games. Yeah, a lot have been bad. A lot have been bad. Yeah, not uh, impressive there, but yeah, certainly Frank Gore Jr. Certainly the standout from those games there. Grandizer twelve goes Frank jo- Frank Gore Jr. The Gore and Horror. Yes. He will be in the NFL in a few years, and we will see another Frank Gore in the NFL once more. Hey, we might see another Terrell Owens in the uh, NFL once more, but the same one at 49 years old. That would be a crazy, crazy-ass story if he came back to the Cowboys of, of all teams. that's That's got to be marketing or something. He can't seriously be playing at 50 years old. Um, right, okay, that is bowl season so far. About another 20 games to go, so we will round that off next week, which brings us to our final segment of the day and of course Ryan in a few days time the um, oh before I do Grandizer goes the Hawaiian Bowl did you watch that that was Middle Tennessee in the Hawaiian Bowl I believe if I remember rightly let me just double check Middle Tennessee and San Diego State in the Hawaii Bowl I believe I did not it was very close I think they only won by about two points Usually have a soft spot for Middle Tennessee, but um, uh, Reed Blankenship is now with Philly, so that's kind of where my interest in them ended. I really wanted the Lions to draft Reed last year. Now, he's got in a niche career for himself with the Philly Eagles, who might be on the way to a Super Bowl, so I just want to say I would maybe right on that one. Um, no, I didn't, unfortunately, Grant, but we will keep watching games as we go along. Right. This weekend, Ryan, college football playoff time. The road to the natty. There is one more stop to go. And two very, maybe intriguing fixtures, maybe lopsided fixtures. Who knows? But we'll start with the one that doesn't involve the in-state team first. We'll leave Michigan for the end. Of course, talking Georgia, the Bulldogs, the reigning, defending, natty champions of the world, um, and Stetson Bennett are going to go to work against what I quite frankly think is undeserving college football playoff finalists, Ohio State and CJ Stroud, who got in there by default of other teams losing, not because they're good. Um, This is going to be a very interesting matchup here, right? Two stylistically very different teams Ohio State obviously we know them for the passing offense you know the receivers the deep field threats CJ Stroud slinging the ball all over the field to them with the separation they get you know you've got Marvin Harris and you've got Ebuka there as well you've got the third I always forget the name of the third one because it ain't in Jigma no more but um, you've got some really talented guys and then on Georgia's side maybe the most complete team of the lot of them they ain't an explosive offense they are not you know fancy on the eyes and that but what they are 
they're, they're kind of like Dan Campbell says, they are the grit team. They are the team that will smash you in the face. They are the team that will wear you down no matter what the situation and just grind you into dust. On both sides of the ball, the defence, everyone wondered with all the players getting drafted last year, would it affect them? Nope. New stars have become available to them, no more so than one Jalen Carter, who Lions fans are absolutely begging to draft next year to stop our run problems there. And then on Ohio State's side, the defence has gotten better this year, the defensive line especially, but linebacker, you've got Eichenberg in there, who's had an all-pro season amazing for him but the secondary has struggled and it seems to be the same for Georgia the secondary struggles most out of the three units although the threshold is very high here in terms of outs Georgia are missing Nolan Smith one of the captains the linebacker that is really big for them but in terms of huge misses that's it Lad McConkey is questionable, the wide receiver. The other wide receiver, A.D. Mitchell, is probable. And then offensive lineman Warren McClendon is questionable. On Ohio State's side, Jackson Smith in Jigba is out. Rumors say he is healthy, but he is protecting his draft stock, but we don't know. Travion Henderson, star running back, out. Mian Williams, backup running back, is questionable. If he plays, he ain't going to be healthy. And then offensive lineman Matt Jones is questionable. I mean, for me, Ryan, you saw what the lack of running backs did to Ohio State against Michigan. I mean, if Michigan can do that to them, what the hell is that Georgia defense going to do to them when they can't run the football? I mean, what, what are your initial thoughts here for Georgia, Ohio State? It's going to be a bad day for Ohio State. They're going to go up against the best tandem of tight ends in the nation. And their secondary is already bad. How is that secondary going to cover Diane Elsa, uh, Washington, and Brock Bowers? It's not. When it gets down to the red zone, they're in trouble. Now, I like Lad McConkey because he's like their punt returner as well, kick returner. He's important to them. But it's not the BLN and all that he goes out. But the fact Ohio State cannot run the ball, you really think, like, say, that they're going to be able to run on that team against Jalen Carter with backup running backs? When Georgia have got a really underrated ground game, uh, Kenny, I always forget his name. What's, it, what's his running back's name? Kenny, Kenny uh, McIntosh. Kenny McIntosh is really underrated. Yeah. I said, I, him versus like, Eichenberg is going to have to play, play spy. He's, he's going to have to try. Yeah, he's, he's going to have to try keep tabs on uh, Kenny, which is not easy. Who's had a really underrated year. But, and yeah, the, the, the challenge for me is. It's the Ohio State receivers against Kali Ringo, who got picked on against LSU. They they had success targeting him. Like I say, he does get turnovers, but he does often get beat as well. Then you got to say guys like is it Malachi Starks as a young safety. So the Georgia DBs are young. They're aggressive, which sometimes can hurt them. But is CJ Stroud going to have enough time in the pocket to get? rip off I just don't think he will Yeah, I really don't think he's going to have that comfortable pocket if he's got comfortable pocket and pass the time all day I think they can really have their way with the Georgia secondary I mm. think they will move the ball down the field they're not running the ball on Georgia that, that's just not going to happen I think Georgia will win this comfortably because they will just overwhelm them I the think... offence will just overwhelm them and Georgia offensive line is never bad no. it's always and Bennett a plethora of time to work in and Bennett is methodical. I like him. Makes very few mistakes. 
See, I think Stetson just gets so heavily underrated. I mean, PFF College put out a tweet today, rank, rank the four quarterbacks left in the college football playoffs. Everyone's got Stetson at the bottom, but it's like, well, hang on. Think of what they've done in college. Stetson is potentially about to go back-to-back natties. Not many quarterbacks can claim back-to-back natties. In fact, can any quarterbacks claim back-to-back natties? I'm not sure. It's going to be a very exclusive club. And as a walk-on, you know, you're under all the pressure in the world in Georgia. Think how long Georgia's been in Bama's shadow. To be able to start winning natties, start winning in the SEC, winning conference titles, it's the hardest assignment you can physically get as a quarterback. And you can say everything about, oh, he's got a world-class defense, yada, 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 yada. But he doesn't have the greatest receivers in the world. Yeah, he's got his tight ends. And like you said, the offensive line is good, not great. Or maybe it's really good, but it's not elite. It's not like he's getting tons of time in the pocket all the time. He has to work under pressure. So I think Stetson just gets underrated and he's like, you know what, screw it. I'm just going to prove you wrong again and again and again. But I'm with you. I think the big question in this, if CJ Stroud has time to throw, it will be a game. But when you're missing your two running backs, you saw what Michigan did to him. He had a bit of success early, but the second they shut that down... How is he expected to wait three seconds or four seconds in the pocket, especially if he's in third and long? You can't run the ball, you're third and 11, third and 12. How are you going to keep that Georgia pass rush away from sacking you? You're not. It's going to eat you alive. And then on Georgia's side, as you said, it's so hard to defend. You have two athletically freakish tight ends. I mean, potentially, one could be a top five pick in an NFL draft next year. The other will be well up in the first round of a pick. Washington, Bowers, I don't know. That just feels like the matchup that's going to kill them, doesn't it? Because Ohio State's linebackers are good, but if they're on these guys, and then you've got Kenny McIntosh working out the backfield. McIntosh is basically Swift 2.0. He is a dual threat running back who can do it all. What are you going to do with your line- when your linebackers are up on the tight ends? Who's going to cover the running back? Who's going to cover the receivers? It just feels like the way they play, specifically around the tight ends, just doesn't match up well to what Ohio State are. I don't think many teams struggle with that. Like you say, if they just bail out and like say they take tight ends, Stetson Bennett as well, he's fairly fast. Stetson Bennett will do a lot of work with his legs in this game. As soon as Eichenberg is asked to try, I don't think he's a best coverage linebacker. He's going to have to. He doesn't have a choice in this no. game. Like I said, red zone, if he's asked to take down Washington, he's going to have to try man up to him. And in the game, if he's going to try run routes with Bowers, that's trouble as well. So they're going to have to play zone. They can't go man. They won't be able to pick up the ball. And yeah, Kenny and Stetson, they will just take dump offs. They'll just take a lot of zone reads. And they'll just they'll just clobber them. They'll just get short yardage if they have to. So, yeah. yeah. And CJ Stroud, this is the biggest game of his life, I think. Yeah. This is the, if he can really go to town on that Georgia secondary, even in a losing effort, if he can play one of the best games ever had, he can he can challenge Bryce Young to go number one overall. If he can really play well, he has got a chance to yeah. be the number one first overall pick to the Texans. Yeah, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? He's choked on the two biggest stages of his career so far against Michigan both years. First year, maybe you could slightly blame the defence, but second year he choked. He had them on the ropes and he choked. So 
Georgia is the scalp that everybody wants. I mean, Ken Stouder put it in the chat. He goes, most here are wanting OSU to win, to get a chance of beating them twice in the same season. I would prefer matching up versus Georgia. If we beat them, no question about the title. I think beating Georgia, that's your legitimacy for your title, isn't it? They are by far and away the most well-rounded team, the best in the nation. You beat them, you've earned your natty, 100%. No questions, no talk about non-cons, schedules, anything like that. You've got them on there, and... I d I don't know. I just don't see it working. I think Ohio State, without the two running backs, that you can't just air raid Georgia. You just can't. You can't just air raid them and then expect to get away with it. That front seven will kill your quarterback. And then on the other side, you just see too many ways which Georgia can hurt them. And Stetson's been here and done that. CJ's not been to a playoff game before. So yeah, I'm with you. We'll, we'll do our predictions for the game when we've rounded both off. But that's sort of for now. I just see that Georgia are going to have everything in there. Um, Ken's actually come up with an answer to the back-to-back -back natty things earlier. AJ McCarron, 2012-2013. Oh, and then he follows it up by going, he's currently on the St. Louis Battlehawks. Um, yeah, that could be a path Stetson follows, who knows. But yeah, AJ McCarron's a back-to-back -back natty winner, and potentially Stetson's going to get in that category as well. Why is it the back-to-back -back natty winners are not elite quarterbacks? It's just, it just must be something in the water at the time. Proves you need a good team to win a night, not a good quarterback. And then the other one. This rivalry has got very heated over the last week. Because obviously we follow lots of Michigan fans on Twitter. There's been a lot of back and forth here. But the Michigan Wolverines are back for the second year in a row to try their luck on the way to a national title. Taking on... The plucky, resilient underdogs of TCU, the Horned Frogs from the Big 12, who despite losing the Big 12 championship game, still managed to sneak their way into the playoffs courtesy of USC um, losing as well. But, you know, we follow a lot of Michigan fans on Twitter as we do, because they you know, they're interspread with the Lions fan base and... Everyone around the nation seems to be very confident that this is going to be a Michigan win. But if there's one thing you've learned about this TCU team this year, you cannot write them off. You absolutely cannot. In terms of coming into the game, we know what these teams are. Michigan, they rely on the trenches to set the tone. They run the ball hard. Blake Corum may be out, but Donovan Edwards is just as good. He might even be better when his career in Michigan's done. He's averaging like eight yards per carry this season on what he's played so far. Um, and then, yeah, they impose their will on you with the trenches. J.J. McCarthy is good enough as a passer. He's not elite, but he's good enough to punish you when the run game gets going. You open the play-action pass book up, you make things easier for him and, and that's how Michigan beat you and that's how they've done it all year. TCU, we know what TCU are again. This is they've got legitimate playmakers on offense. They've got the Holy Trinity. You've got Max Duggan at quarterback who's had a sensational year. Heisman runner up. Um I mean at the start of the season we were talking about him as a rushing guy, but he's proven his worth as a passer this season. Kendra Miller has a touchdown in every single game this season. The running back, he's reliable. He does the hard yards. He can make guys miss. He can make something out of nothing. And he keeps the TCU offense chugging. He keeps it honest. And then you've got potentially the best wide receiver 
in the NFL draft this season in Quentin Johnston, your big ex-receiver on the outside. He has had a few injury issues, but he will be healthy for this one. And on his day, he makes even the worst, even the best secondary players look bad. I mean, you've got the Holy Trinity here. You've got the plucky underdog spirit of it. But this is another one, Ryan. Like Ohio State with Georgia, tactically, this is going to be a real big problem here because this TCU offense operates with its quarterback who is a dual threat who can run the ball and it kind of opens up everything for them Michigan and I saw this amazing stat earlier today while I was doing this defending against quarterbacks this year playing in the Big Ten 44 carries against them by quarterbacks in the Big Ten this year do you want to know how many yards those carries went for minus four minus four yards that is all quarterbacks have been able to rush against them this season. The Michigan defense is disciplined, gap placement, scheme blocking, holding the edge against dual threat quarterbacks. It's elite. It excels. And if they stop Max Duggan from being able to participate in this game in terms of his rushing ability, that narrows down what the TCU offense can do. And if TCU were going to win this, it's going to need to be an offensive shootout with both teams passing through the air. You've got to take Michigan's run game away. You've got to put it on JJ. And then you've got to trust that Duggan can go out there and wield better than him in the duel going forward. What are your initial thoughts going forward on the Michigan-TCU game? The TCU defense for me is a worry. Is it? It's, it's nearly costing a lot of games this year where Max Duggan or Kendra Miller have had to dig him out of the shit. I'd say it's, it's gone to over time. I'd say it's it can give up big plays. I'd say James Todgers, Hobbs, Tomlinson had great year, won awards, but can still be picked on. I'd say you don't get too much pressure. They've, they've come out and said that this is like they're going to be the treat the Wolverines offense like the Kansas State, take away the run game, make them pass. That's how they think they can win. Now, I agree with that. You take away the run game, I'm just not that high on this J.J. McCarthy as other people. If you don't have a confidence in your own game, I don't think he's good enough to win in the playoffs. On the flip side, if you take away the dual threat from Max Duggan and ask him to just sit in the pocket and tee off, he's going to have success because I I don't think the Michigan corners, whoever they give him, I think Quentin Johnston will win. I think he'll win the battle. I say if he's 100% healthy, which he's supposed to be now, he's going to give the secondary nightmares. But Max is also prone to blunders can throw he's had the cleanest season he's had as like a quarterback but is he will the stage fright come in will he throw one of those costly interceptions it has in years prior where he did sometimes turn the ball over i just don't know i think this game will come down to kendra miller who's still a young man i think they're going to ask the world of him they're going to ask him to like say run through tackles to break tackles home runs big runs he's done all year but he's going to come up against like I say one hell of a stingy defence yeah and so, yeah, I think I don't Michigan I don't think Michigan can win the game just running but no. well, is, is Donovan is he ready is he ready to make a name for himself can he can he bear the brunt of what Blake Collins had to do is he ready to be the focal point of an offence because if he can't JJ is going to struggle. JJ needs 
he needs some help. So this is it. You're putting the game on a couple of sophomores here. So JJ is a sophomore. Donovan Edwards is a sophomore. And I don't think either of them participated last year. I know. I think JJ comes in for the odd snap, doesn't he? But yeah, it's lights, lights, lights out. I mean, this might be a potential situation to face against Georgia. That front seven's going to swallow up your run game. <laughs> You've got to throw it. Can he do it when the lights are brightest? This is why Stetson Bennett is so dangerous because he has. And not every quarterback can go out and do this. But, I mean, offensively, these teams are too nearly evenly matched. So, Michigan averaged 40.1 points per game this season. TCU averaged 40.3. So, these are offenses who can score heavy. Both of them, just over 40 points per game they're averaging. The big difference, as you said, Michigan's defense gives up 13 points per game. And I don't have the stat in front of me, but I can damn well tell you now that TCU's isn't that low. It was probably double, I would say, at this point. And there's the key. Can the defense stalled up? And and that's the thing. If you take J.J. McCarthy, if you put him in this game, like you said, Travis Hodginson Tomlinson is back there. The TCU secondary is good. So if you can get him throwing into that secondary... You know, the wide receivers from Michigan are decent, but I don't think any of them are world beaters right now. I think you have an opportunity to cause turnovers. Get them off the field. Give your high-scoring offense as many chances as possible to put points up on the board. Because I think that's how TCU win this game. It has to become a passing, gunslinging game. And if that happens, then TCU have a chance. I think every other scenario that happens, I think you're going to have to give it to Michigan. I just, I'm with you. I don't know if that defense can get it done or not, but I'm glad TCU are here, and I hope they put on a good show and they don't get blown out. But yeah, that Michigan defense is is good. I mean, that's crazy. Quarterback rushes against you in minus figures for the season. Do you know how hard that is? There are some good dual threat quarterbacks in the Big Ten who can put yards down on you, and they've uh, they've, <laughs> they've got negative yardage. Um, in terms of quarterback rushing. So, we've had a look through them. What are your predictions for this game, for these two games? Who's going to win and how much are they going to win by? I think Georgia is going to win by a pair of scores. I think it'll be fairly comfortable. I'm going to say like 35-21. I think Michigan, low scorer. I'm going like 24-21 Michigan. I think they will cancel each other out. It'll come down to defence. I hope it's kind of like that, but for the way I'm looking at it, I think this could potentially be two terrible matchups where we get two blowouts. I think Georgia are going to blow out Ohio State, and if TCU don't get going, I see them blowing out. I see them being blown out by Michigan. I could potentially see two 20-point gaps here between the teams, and in Georgia's case, I think so. I think it's going to be 45-20. To Georgia, I think they're going to absolutely have their way because Ohio State's run game is gone. In Michigan's game, I'm going to say it's be about 36-17 to Michigan. I just, I really want to believe in TCU, but that defense is just—it's so worrying. And it's not the defensive line that's their strength on that TCU defense, and it needs to be. You've got to keep that Michigan offensive line in check. 
because it just it, it, it wins games for them and I don't know if they can and it's no good relying on a good secondary if the ball's getting run down your throat and they've got 20 yards by the time they get involved in the game so I, I, I don't know I sense two blowouts here and I sense the Georgia-Michigan natty so it's going to be really interesting those two games coming up at the weekend sort of an aside into this Grandizer asks about the TCU centre Steve Avila um, what do we think of him? He is projected to go second or third round. I mean, I watched a lot of TCU games this year. I know the offensive line has had its problems there, but he's an anchor. I think he's one of the better centers in this draft. And you've got a couple coming out of the Big Ten. You've got the Minnesota one who's coming out who's really good. But I think he's definitely up there amongst them. I think he's been I think he's been really good. TCU have had to have good play to get this far. You don't get to the playoffs without having a team effort here. And I think Avila, he's definitely going to be one of the better centers in the draft this year, should he declare. Yeah, he's definitely experienced. Like I say he's been with Duggan a few years and he's used to that offense where he knows where if shit happens and like Max has to bail out because Max is a QB that when stuff happens, he can bail out. He can be a lead locker. He can get to the second level. He knows when he has to. He's, he's athletic, like I say, but he's also trustable. Pass blocking, that's probably where TCU probably struggle. Like I said, the, the, it comes down to TCU, I don't think he'll get to J.J. McCarthy. Don't trust the pass rush. This, this Michigan offensive line is fucking good. They're, they're, they're going to have a few drafted. The TCU offensive line, I don't think it's going to hold up. I think they will get to max, possibly some batted balls, like say some deflections. But yeah, the center is the best guy on it for TCU. Everyone else has been serviceable in the Big Twelve, and we're gonna we're, we're gonna see the difference between Big Ten and Big Twelve. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you, you kind of think the big the trenches in the Big Ten are, are tougher. There's a lot of guys in there who you know it's it's a lot more. I don't based think TCU would get through a Penn State offensive line. No, or like their lines like they're, they're a trench team. I feel like the the Big Twelve trenches. I feel like just they're weaker. No, I mean, in the Big 12, you get good secondary guys, you get good linebackers, but like you said, overall, the D-line play seems to be weaker. And again, that's it's the wrong mismatch to have, isn't it? You can't have a bad D-line against that Michigan O-line and expect to win a game. The, the, the second two levels of your defense can be elite, but if you're getting destroyed on the trenches, they'll move the ball on you, they'll score points, they'll kill clock. It's going to make it impossible for your offense to do it. So, yeah. It's going to be a tough one there. So me and Ryan both agree. We reckon it's going to be a Georgia-Michigan natty, which may not seem a bold prediction, but he reckons it's going to be close in both games. Well, closer. I think they're going to be two blowouts. So uh, we'll see, but we will review them next week as and when we are done. So that is pretty much everything for the sections we've got this week. If you've got any other questions you want to ask us before we get out of here, then just let us know. I've got one that I need to read from Big Aries, who put one in earlier for us on Twitch. Sorry, it's taken a while, Big Aries, but I kind of wanted to fit it in when it was just not like a random segment on its own. So he does ask us a draft-related question. He goes, I keep running a draft simulator on PFN's site. What do you guys think of the first-round DBs? And I keep seeing Antonio Johnson, the DB from Texas A&M, as an option. I mean cornerbacks, I mean, not necessarily safeties, because everyone says Johnson's a cornerback, but he's a safety, so we kind of need to clarify that first, but the first round DB options this year, I think 
they're really intriguing, aren't they? I think you've got a good blend of just about everything you want in this draft. And what's going to be critical, it's not picking the right guy himself, but you've got to pick the guy for your schematical needs in this. There's a lot of talent, but you've got to get make sure you get the right guy for the right assignment, and especially the Lions. I feel that's my feeling on it, anyhow. Yeah, there's a mix. Like you say, you've got you've got big guys that have not been super productive in college, like Christian Gonzalez. He's had one good year this year, like four picks. But he's six two. He's long. He's lengthy. He's strong. He's fluid. And you've got guys like Kelly Ringo, a bit more muscly, a bit shorter, a bit more erratic. Like you say, he makes big plays. He's got an attitude, a chip on his shoulder. But also, like in the LSU game, got beaten. Like I say, he got caught with eyes in the backfield. He's young and naive, but I really like him. But I feel like you're going to have to put up with some bad play at the start. And then you've got, let's like, say, guys like Tony Johnson. Tony Johnson is a strong safety or a nickel. Like I say, that, that, that is it. Like I say, I won't buy outside corner. He's not that big. He's like, I've watched him play a bit like, like Budabaker. Like I say, he's like six foot. He's strong. He's aggressive. He'll come to line of scrimmage. He'll play. But in coverage... Probably not so much. Like I say, you, you wouldn't play him free safety. You'd play him in a multi-scheme safety package like the Lions. And that's why you see him a lot like in the mocks. He could replace like Deshaun Elliott. Then you've got other guys like Joey Potter Jr. who fits the Lions because he's he's a man corner. Yeah. He'll play press. He'll jam you at line of scrimmage. He is probably people that really like. So yeah, but it's a good set. There's a strong class of defensive backs. But yeah. The Lions don't want someone that can't play man and wants to sit in zone and give a lot of cushions. We're going to need someone a bit more rugged than that, so getting it right. But I think we've seen now that cornerback is a need. So a cornerback in the first round is looking less and less surprising. He's getting the right one. If you get the wrong one, we're in trouble. And I think the thing, the big thing with DBs, especially sort of recent history of the NFL, I think teams have realised how vital depth is at the position. You can have good guys, but you've got to have good backups just because it, it, it makes or breaks your whole defense, really, doesn't it? So you've got to have depth. I mean, I've seen Lions fans saying we need, you know, we've got Akuda, we've got Jacobs, why do we need another corner so early? You've got to have more. You've got to have three, four great guys that you can slot in, rotate around, different needs. I mean, I'm with Rife for me. The thing with the DBs in the first round this year. You've got to get the guy who's right schematically for you. It's not all... Some people say best player available. That's dangerous with the DBs this year. As he's already mentioned, you've got um, Joey Porter Jr., Devon Witherspoon from Illinois, who I've been all over. These are the best man coverage corners in this draft. And Detroit needs man coverage corners. Because that is what we play. We play a lot of man coverage, and it's where we struggle a lot of the time. So these are the kind of guys, for me personally, you need to be going after. If you need a slot cornerback, which you could also say we need, you're going to look at guys like Clark Phillips. He might be up there. I don't know what his stock's like at the minute, and if he goes, but you know, Clark Phillips is the slot guy in there. And then, again, you get to safeties. You've got Antonio Johnson, possibly Brian Branch. I know he's up there, but I'm like you, I'm not entirely sold on him he's kind of like battle last year these Alabama DBs I'm not I'm not 100% sold on them I just I think he's in the same category and battles rated in deep down in the second round this year he was meant to be a first round pick last year coming back was a big mistake from him because there wasn't the safety class this year and the DB class this year is really good but last year I think it was really good for wide receivers in the first round I said 
on our stream to Matt, I said, I'll put the over-under at, I think it was seven receivers in the first round, and he kind of scoffed at me. There was six, or did I say eight? There was six or seven wide receivers last year. I don't know about you, right, but I feel like as many as eight or nine DBs could go in the first round this year. I think it's going to be very DB heavy. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I can see it. Uh, Gonzalez, Ringo, Porter Jr., Antonio Johnson, Brian Branch, Devon Witherspoon. People forget Garrett Williams just because he tore his ACL, but he's still one of the best DBs in the draft. Mm. I mean, he's a risk, but he could be worth the reward because he is really good corner. But yeah, there's a lot of guys out there. So yeah, I can see easily five or six defensive backs. I can see the first corner going. And, and going, the th- going pretty high. And the thing is, there's a definitive lack of wide receivers in the first round this year. I don't even think there'll be three. There's not really many offensive linemen. I think that could be the lowest it's been in years. Outside of Skaronski and the Ohio State guy, Paris John. No, I think there's two of them, maybe. But I don't see many of them. So those are two of your, like, your big staples in recent drafts where you've had lots of guys in the first round. I don't think there is many this year. So I think I'm going to put an over-under of DBs in the first round at eight. I will be that confident right now that eight dbs will go first round so yeah but you've got to get the right one and with a spoon and porter jr for us lead the way with that one at the moment um brian starting off from the start of the show goes bad news guys it was gonorrhea <laughs> oh i hope it gets better soon but uh grandazza says good job lads catch you later on in the week where is hank um i'm guessing hank is hank asleep today or are you just having a break no he was Two Guinness out. I locked him out tonight. Oh, bless him. He's, uh, yeah. Going to fight. Oh, bless him there. Um, Big Harry says, PFN referred to him as a nickel, so that was something more towards what the Lions might. I guess that's going back to Johnson. I think you mentioned that, didn't you, anyhow? He's sort of a, the nickel-ish guy. Brian Branch as well. Brian Branch is classed as a zone defender that plays nickel and safety. So they're hybrids. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the only problem I have... With hybrids, look what we've just tried to do to Ify. And we're ruining Ify Melifonwu by the week. We're trying to hybrid him out, and it doesn't always work. Now, you can say there's a difference between a first-round talent guy and a fourth-round guy like him, but I think what the Lions are doing with him is disgusting. I don't want no more hybrids. There are more than enough specialist positional corners and safeties this year so that you don't have to go hybrid, but... Hey, I'm not an NFL GM, so who knows? Um, I think that is it in terms of questions and bits this evening. Um, anything else you want to get off your chest before we get out of here, right? No, I think we'll cover everything. Like I say, we it's, yeah, just the big games left. Yeah, years. yeah, we've got the last half of the ball games to come, two natty games, oh, well, sorry, two playoff games this weekend, and then we've got the two finals, the FCS final, the FBS final to come, so we're nearly there, we're nearly going to roll around into draft season, we will be starting our draft season coverage in earnest soon, we're kind of just waiting at the minute because the senior ball squad's not fully announced, so we will wait till it fully is till we break it down, the same with the Shrine Bowl teams, the HBCU Legacy Bowls, we're going to do that again, the draft, we don't know who's declared yet, and Again, we don't want to do work on guys who are going back to college and loads of guys are returning. So we will be starting with that very soon. We'll be back next week as per. We'll, I think we'll do the uh, the final end of season mock drafts next week and see how they compare to our half season ones. I know with you, Rye, 
they're changing, aren't they, with the Lions? I guess we could talk Lions briefly a minute after what happened with the Panthers, but it's kind of in flux right now what we kind of think we want to do with them, isn't it, in terms of positions? Yeah. Lions need a running back. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people are talking about Josh Jacobs, but he won't be cheap. Like say, we've seen Jamal go down with injury. Is that the start of the last time we're going to see Jamal Williams as a lion? It could very well be, and it's a strong running back class, so we're going to have to go. And linebacker as well, like the depth is it's just not there, is it? So but we're going to have to address the positions that looked okay five weeks ago, but right now I'm not as comfortable with. Isn't it just the case you feel like Bijan Robinson sat there, he's like the apple on the tree that God told Eve not to eat, and you're just like, I know I shouldn't eat it, I know I shouldn't be wanting the Bijan Robinson apple, but is it not getting sweeter and more tempting looking by the week for what we need? Could you imagine putting him behind our offensive line? He'd go crazy in the NFL. Oh, I think, yeah, he's, he's, it's bold, it'd be a flashy move, it'd upset a lot of people, but it's a very quickly win people over you. If if you think you're ready to win, you draft a running back. Teams that are ready to win and they've got offensive lines draft running backs. Mm. So do you know what? If if with our own pick, if we're picking at like fourteen, fifteen, that's where I'm seeing him taken. Take him. Yeah. If we picked him right now, I would not be upset. I think is the no. final thing because our offense is predicated. Yeah. One year cheap ass deal. Swift and Bijan, can you imagine them two lining up as a two running back set? What the hell are you going to do as a defensive coordinator? Are you <laughs> you can't bring your linebacker out to watch over Swift if he's going to run the ball. If B, you know, if he's going to catch the ball, if Bijan's going to run it down your throat. You don't want two hundred pound. You don't, you don't want a hundred and eight pound linebacker or whatever trying to take down Bijan. You can't do it. It's it's becoming very very tempting, and I wish it wasn't, but it is. I think. It, it, it's it's a critical part of how we play. We need one. We need one absolutely next year, and it's gone right up. I think it's in the top three list of needs for me at the minute. We've seen these last six weeks. Lions' run game stinks. We need a running back. We really do. And we need another lineman to go with it. So, interesting days. A bit of Lions, well, no, former Lions-related news. Depp fan man goes, Jared Davis has been signed by the Giants' second New York attempt for him. Good luck, bud. I mean... Giants need linebackers. I don't know whether he's it. But, yeah, Jared Davis, love the guy. Hope he gets a good opportunity there for him. Right, let me go through all the end of end of pod chatter stuff. Um, so, again, thank you to everyone who has joined us on YouTube and Twitch this evening. We really appreciate you. In terms of the main Roar of the Lions UK podcast, as said, we will be back tomorrow. We will be doing our Chicago Bears preview, and we will be doing it with the fine chaps from Bear Down Report. We love those guys, even though the Bears fans, they know what they're talking about. So come join us for that. In terms of myself and Ryan, we will be back next week about the 4th of January with the college pod once more as I say we are going to be doing our end of season mock drafts so tune in for that see where our thoughts are with that and then we're going to it depends what happens as as the senior bowl teams come out as the shrine bowl teams come out we will start focusing on them and draft related things it's just waiting for it all to happen so our schedule is sort of at the will of the gods as all this thing as all these things rely out at the minute we are going to do our player reviews though i've still got them lined up if you've reviewed if you've asked for player reviews we've got a slot cornerback segment we've got a couple of iowa defensive 
guys in there as well. We are going to do it all. It's just been busy Christmas period, but as soon as January starts, we're going to get into the tape and we're going to review them for you. So do join in for that. Just reminds me to go through, to thank Ryan. Just reminds me to thank Ryan, as always. And I'll go through all our socials. You can find us on YouTube at Roar of the Lions UK. Um, you find us at Twitch, R-O-T-L underscore UK. If you've not subscribed to either of those yet and you do like us, do give us a like. It helps ever so much. On Facebook, you can find us on our page, Roar of the Lions UK, and on our group, Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide. On Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at R-O-T-L underscore UK. And then our website, www.roarofthelinesuk.com. You will find weekly articles previewing the fixtures, some more of the in-depth stats from our writer. Ash, he does a really good job with those. So if you get a chance, go check those out. And that is everything. So, just remains for to thank again, Ryan. Enjoy the Christmas period. Enjoy your holidays. Hope you are all well. And hope you are all having a good time. And we shall see you again soon. One pride. Good pride.